Hello, I'm Josh Way, and this is Book, a Bible podcast for everybody. Welcome to another voicemail supplement. Here is today's question. Hi, Josh. This is Andre Jackson from Memphis. Uh, I just gonna finish going through the Genesis 1 about the, uh, I think the topic was about breathe, eat, and love, episode 3. I was wondering if you could touch on the pre-creation, you know, when God banned the angels out of uh, heaven, or, or the war happened, and that type of thing that happened before the creation, or when it happened, because sometimes we, I get kind of lost when I'm looking at it, because the Bible does a little bit of a back and forth on that one, a little, and uh, I just want to know, you know, because of your knowledge about Jewish, a, a lot about the Jewish background, if you could touch on that a little bit. Thanks, man. Be blessed. Thanks for the call, Andre. I really appreciate it, and thanks for listening. Now, Andre brings up an extremely sticky subject, especially when we restrict ourselves to the realms of history and literature. Andre's asking about the so-called fallen angels. This refers to the legend about a group of angels led by a proud and wicked angel named Lucifer who rebelled against God and were banished from heaven to hell where they await judgment and wreak havoc over all the earth. Andre's asking about a timeline for this rebellion, but there are a lot of things we need to say before we get to that. The very first thing we need to say about Lucifer's rebellion is that, apart from a few cryptic references, which we'll examine in a minute, it is not a story that is told anywhere in the Bible. In fact, the name Lucifer does not appear in the text of the Hebrew or Greek Bibles. So where does the story come from, and what connection, if any, does it have to the Bible? Excellent question. It's like you're in my head. The answer is somewhat convoluted as a number of traditions, texts, and myths have all mingled together to create, well, confusion. The story appears to have been born as a Jewish legend somewhere around or shortly after the first century CE, around the same time as the New Testament was being formulated. The most complete expression of the story is found in a Jewish text called the Book of Enoch, which is not in Protestant or Catholic Bibles, but is found in the Eastern Orthodox canon. That book tells the story of angels who fall to earth and interbreed with human women and then are banished to Sheol, the realm of the dead. It does not, however, feature the Lucifer character, and the whole idea of the Satan as a fallen angel seems to have been popularized by early Christians, not Jews. Since book is primarily concerned with the text of the canonical Bible, perhaps the most fruitful thing for us to do would be to look at the key passages that have been used, perhaps abused, in the service of this falling angels legend. First up is Genesis 6. Now this might be the passage that started the whole thing. We dealt with this one back in, uh, I think it was our Noah podcast. This is the chapter that says, the sons of God married the daughters of man. And that's it. That's all we get. Now, I suggested on that earlier podcast that this might be a way of describing how the two genealogies in the previous chapter, the kings of Cain's line, the sons of God, and the normal working stiffs of Seth's line, the daughters of man, had intermarried in the time leading up to the flood. But there's no doubt that this brief and cryptic statement is the apparent basis for the whole genre of fallen angel stories. The section of the book of Enoch which tells of the watchers who came to earth to fornicate with human women is an attempt to flesh out and comment on Genesis 6. Even if sons of God in the text does refer to angels, and it very well might, it is still a very vague reference and the rebellion story is hardly explicit. Next up is Ezekiel 28. There are many passages from the Hebrew prophets which have been understood and perhaps misunderstood in a variety of ways throughout the years. 
One such passage is from Ezekiel chapter 28, which says things like this. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Now somehow church tradition came to read this as a description of the Satan's rebellion and his banishment from heaven, despite the fact that it comes in the middle of a long litany of oracles against the kings of the ancient world. And verse 11 tells us plainly that this is an oracle for the king of Tyre, one of Israel's enemies. Now it's true that the language employed by Ezekiel is over the top, and he does describe the king as an anointed guardian cherub, but that isn't saying that he's an angel. It's a way of mocking his lofty view of himself and his kingly power. Remember that cherubs aren't angels. They're Akkadian mythical creatures which represent royal authority. It's like a lion with wings. Saying that the king of Tyre is an anointed cherub placed on top of God's holy mountain is a way of saying that he was the most powerful and divinely appointed king around, which is surely what the king thought of himself. When he's cast down on the ground and exposed before kings, we see Ezekiel's purpose, to humiliate and expose the king of Tyre as a sham. Now there's a similar bit in Isaiah 14, which has been even more explicitly linked to the fall of the Satan. Give a listen. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn! How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low! You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit." This passage alone became the basis of the whole Lucifer story, and we have Origen, a Christian thinker from the 3rd century, to thank for that. He was the one who codified a reading of this text that was accepted by many in his day and has largely persisted, that says that this is the story of Lucifer falling from heaven. The only problem is that once again we're ignoring an explicit context in the text itself. Isaiah is boldly and plainly and clearly speaking about the king of Babylon and predicting his inevitable defeat. Remember that Isaiah is confronting the earthly villains of his own time and place. And the two big enemies in the book are Assyria and Babylon. There's really nothing here about angels at all except maybe that reference to the day star in verse 12. Stars did eventually become a popular poetic way of referring to angels, eventually later in the tradition. But still, it's a pretty hard sell with this text. Oh, but keep Isaiah in mind as we move on to the New Testament and check this out. Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, Jesus has sent some disciples, 72 of them, out to heal and minister to people in his name. When they return and tell him what a successful mission they had, he responds like this. I saw the Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Traditional interpreters, already convinced that the Isaiah 14 passage told of the Satan, his rebellion, and his banishment from heaven, have seized upon this one verse as a reference to Jesus' eternal pre-existence as a divine being who must have witnessed the fall of angels before he came to earth to be a man. That seems like a bit of a stretch for such a short and simple little verse, especially given what we've already observed about Isaiah 14. 
New Testament scholar N.T. Wright offers a different interpretation, suggesting that Jesus is alluding to Isaiah's mockery of the king of Babylon and applying it to his own defeat of the Satan during the wilderness temptation, found earlier in Luke 4 and also Matthew 4. That makes more sense given the context of the verse and what Jesus goes on to say. But there's one more, even simpler possibility. The Greek text of this verse could just as easily be translated, I was watching the Satan fall like lightning out of heaven. Then it would just be Jesus' way of saying, Yeah, you guys really kicked bottom. Nice job. I was watching. Now, there are a couple more references in the New Testament that we should look at quickly before we wrap this up. And these are actually texts that complicate this whole thing further. We're going to look at Peter and Jude. Now, Peter and Jude, or Judah, are two apostles who wrote letters to ancient churches which wound up in the New Testament. Both of them make rather flagrant but passing references to the fallen angels. Second Peter 2.4 says that God, quote, "...did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment." Meanwhile, Judah says that, quote, "...the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, God has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day." Judah goes on to actually invoke Enoch, making explicit references to that non-biblical book that we mentioned earlier. Now, that actually causes huge problems for certain schools of Bible interpretation, as we've got a canonical reference to a non-canonical text. What do you do with that? Two things we should understand about these early church letters. One, their intense and fiery language is a product of the persecution and danger of their times. And two, they were clearly written in the period when the book of Enoch had just been written and become very popular. In truth, these are the only two undeniable and explicit references to fallen angels in the whole Bible. Draw your own conclusions. And that's our survey of fallen angels in the Bible. Actually, there is one more bit in Revelation 12.3 that people like to bring up in this discussion, but I think it's really a stretch, and I'd rather save my thoughts on Revelation for our forthcoming and mind-bending podcast dedicated entirely to that delicious and dense text. So, Andre, your original question had to do with the timeline. When did the angel rebellion take place? Well, I'm not really sure that we have arrived at a tidy answer. I suppose if we accept the first-century Book of Enoch interpretation of Genesis 6, then it happened right there, a generation after creation. But I think the history and literature answer might be that it grew and evolved in the hearts and imaginations of people throughout both Jewish and Christian history who took the Bible very seriously and either wanted to tie up some perceived loose ends or connect some contemporary belief that they had with Scripture. We have to admit, looking at the evidence, that the idea is almost, not quite, non-existent in the pages of the Bible. Just how essential and formative traditions are on the way we read the Bible is a whole other issue, one that I'm delighted to say does not fall within the jurisdiction of this podcast. This has been a book podcast voicemail supplement, and I've been Josh Way. Thanks so much for the call, Andre. I appreciate it. And you, my friends, can also leave me a voicemail at 801-760-3013. Or you can drop me an email at book at joshway.com, and I'll try my best to respond on a future installment. Thanks for listening, Bible Pals. Catch you next time.